0: in the Orchestra view. Orchestra view? Where's that? You change you change four score and seven to to eighty seven? Oh, you can take tomorrow. Oh, that view is tremendous. A landing was made this morning on the coast of France by troops of the Allied Expeditionary Force. I don't blame them for dyeing your hair I said, but... They waited too long to bomb it. Time now for Spinning My Dad's Vinyl. Here with all his skips, scratches, and pops is my dad, Frank Baccarello. Thanks, sweetie, and thank you for tuning into episode 91 of Spinning My Dad's Vinyl. Finishing up unofficial Franklin Mint Month, we come across another influential cornet player. In fact, he influenced my dad's favorite cornet player. So, get ready for the musician and band leader who helped make Dixieland music popular outside of Dixie in Volume 91, Oliver is King. And, of course, back to the included box set booklet for tune intros. Canal Street Blues starts out swinging at a fine, steady tempo and stays that way. After the rocking opening ensemble, Johnny Dodds plays two choruses of blues at which he was a master on the clarinet. Then the band returns in full force with the two-cornet team of King Oliver and Louis Armstrong driving them along. It's King Oliver's Creole Jazz Band with Canal Street Blues, composed by King Oliver and Louis Armstrong, with Honoré Dutry on trombone, Johnny Dodds on clarinet, Lil Hardin Armstrong on piano, Bill Johnson on banjo, Baby Dodds on drums, and Louis Armstrong and King Oliver on cornets. It was recorded April 6, 1923 and released on Gannett Records. Okay, why this record for this episode? Well, the Franklin Mint Box Collection did exactly what it set out to do, and that was Teach Jazz History. Listening to the music and reading these extensive liner notes about the musicians, the music, the recording sessions, and the times these jazz artists lived in has been eye-opening for me. Here we have a record featuring one of the most influential jazz band leaders, and his featured cornetist is the most influential musician in American history, Louis Armstrong, who happens also to be my dad's favorite trumpet player. So not only does this record have some historically important recordings, it features historically important musicians. And you have to love the titles of the tunes, like this one. Dipper Mouth Blues, the most famous of the Creole jazz band pieces, started. As, it starts at a nice clip, with the cornet team well audible. Johnny Dodds' two choruses over stop-time ensemble are his own invention, But every clarinetist to play this number since then has copied them, sometimes note for note. The same holds true for Oliver's three choruses, following the second ensemble passage. Played with a plunger mute, this is the first great jazz trumpet solo on record. After the shout by Bill Johnson, which also has become inseparable from the piece, Louis leads the closing ensemble chorus, Dippermouth by the way, was Louis's second nickname following Little Louis and preceding Satchmo and the piece was later renamed Sugarfoot Stomp. <laughs> Creole Jazz Band with Dipper Mouth Blues written by Oliver and Armstrong and it's the same band as before except the vocal break uh, by Bill Johnson in there it also was recorded April 6th 1923 and released on Gannett Records. Okay let me tell you about my dad's vinyl I have chosen for this episode. Jelly Roll Morton, King Oliver and Sidney Bechet Kings of New Orleans Jazz. It's on the Franklin Mint Record Society label. Of course, we are only listening to the Oliver record, which is FM Jazz 018. It's the greatest jazz recordings of all time, Institute of Jazz Studies official archive collection series. It is a four-vinyl LP compilation, red vinyl and red box set. Its country of origin is Sweden, was released in 1983, and its genre is is jazz. Now this is the second record in the fifth box set of the collection and we will listen to seven of the twelve songs on the record. Now all three of these musicians in this box set were awarded ample liner notes in this booklet and I really wish I could read all of them about King Oliver because it's a fascinating story but I had to cut them down severely. So the the first tune we heard Canal Street Blues is the first of nine stellar recordings called from the 37 issue performances made by King Oliver's Creole Jazz Band in 1923. A word or two about the sound quality is in order. Like Caruso, the Creole Jazz Band made no electrical recordings. Though modern re-recording procedures could do much to improve acoustically recorded music, there are inherent limitations that no technology can overcome. On the other hand, once the ear adjusts itself to the sound, a surprising amount of content comes across, and the sound even has a certain period charm. Moreover, we must be thankful that we have any evidence at all of the Creole Jazz Band in its prime, for it made no further recordings, and by 1924 its glory days were over. Thus, while it takes some initial effort to listen, it is well worth it for this music could never be duplicated, and there is no doubt that the Creole Jazz Band was one of the greatest ensembles in all of jazz history. The first four titles were made on the band's initial visit to the recording studios. There are three blues, much of the band's music was blues, and the fourth is a three-strain rag by Jelly Roll Morton, which you'll hear hear here in a moment. Uh, Though there are solos, and often excellent ones, on the band's records, it was essentially... An ensemble, and by all accounts, it was the last working band until the traditional revival more than 20 years later, to play in the style that had developed and matured in New Orleans. Because most of the players had participated in this process and because they knew each other very well, they were a superbly integrated unit in which each member knew exactly what to do and how to do it. Moreover, and this is a characteristic of the best jazz groups of any era, they had a common feeling for phrasing and rhythm and no one ever got out of step. Apparently, they were not daunted by the prospect Of making recordings. Okay, let's see what prices this record is being sold at on discogs.com. This is for the whole box set, of course. $24.99 was the highest, $7.20 was the lowest for a $16.63 average and a $16.12 median. It was last sold on March 24th, 2022, for that highest price. Now, my dad's record is in really good condition i'm not hearing much if any much if any sound between the tracks so all the noise you are hearing is because these recordings are nearly 100 years old this nice plastic sleeve that they come in the collection um by the way to help these records stay so nice and they really do. The box is also in very good condition with very little wear, and the internal booklet is in good condition. This one has a very small bend in one corner, probably from having the box closed on it once or twice. Who knows? So I will value my dad's box set at $15. Okay, now let's get our jelly roll on. Frog Eye more spelled frog the letter i and more with two o's named for a pianist comedian called frog eye more spelled frog e y e has morton written all over it especially in the third strain which is introduced by louis strong melodic lead his momentary dominance aside this is an ensemble performance from start to finish with that lilting concerted drive peculiar to the Creole Jazz Band. from the Creole Jazz Band, and it was composed by Jelly Roll Morton. It was recorded in that same April 6, 1923 session and released on Gannett. Okay, let's learn a little about this great jazz influencer. Joseph Nathan Oliver was born December 19, 1881, in Aben, Louisiana, near Donaldsonville in Ascension Parish, and moved to New Orleans in his youth. He's an American cornetist who was a vital link between the semi-mythical prehistory of jazz and the firmly documented history of jazz proper. He is also remembered for choosing as his protege, the man generally considered to have been the greatest of all New Orleans musicians, Louis Armstrong. Oliver found employment as a butler to a white family in New Orleans when he was about 17, a job he kept for the next nine years, but he was already active as a musician. Around 1899, he joined a children's brass band formed by Walter Kenahan and performed on the trombone and later the cornet at funerals and parades. One of his eyes was damaged during a childhood accident, earning him the early nicknames of "Bad Eye" and Monocles, and he often played with a hat tilted over the eye to disguise it. From 1908 to 1917, he played cornet in New Orleans brass bands and dance bands and in the city's Red Light District, which came to be known as Storyville. A band he co-led with trombonist Kid Ori was considered one of the best and hottest in New Orleans in the late 1910s. He was popular in New Orleans across economic and racial lines and was in demand for music jobs of all kinds. By 1915, he was an established bandleader, and two years later, he was being billed as the king. In the following year, after the closing down of Storyville, the city's red-light district, Oliver moved to Chicago. Four years later, he sent for Louis Armstrong to join him as second cornetist, thus indirectly ensuring the spread of jazz across the continent and eventually the world. His influence was such that Armstrong claimed, quote, if it had not been for Joe Oliver, jazz would not be what it is today, unquote. Oliver and his band returned from California to Chicago in 1922, where they started playing in the Royal Gardens Cabaret, later renamed the Lincoln Gardens, as King Oliver and his Creole Jazz Band. Recordings made by this group in 1923 for Gannett, O.K., Paramount and Columbia demonstrates the New Orleans style of collective improvisation, also known as Dixieland, and brought it to a larger audience. Because they were recording acoustically into a horn that was directly connected to the needle, making the record master, Armstrong notably had to stand in the corner of the room away from the horn because his powerful playing bounced the needle off the master. In addition, white musicians would visit Lincoln Gardens in order to learn from Oliver and his band. Because Lincoln Gardens was in Chicago's black neighborhood and only admitted blacks, the white players listened outside near the front door. The band broke up in 1924. In the mid-1920s, Oliver enlarged his band to nine musicians performing under the name King Oliver and his Dixie syncopators and began using more written arrangements with jazz solos. In 1928, he went to New York City, and from this point, his fortunes declined. Plagued by dental trouble and outflanked by rapidly evolving jazz styles, he died April 10, 1938, in obscurity while working as a pool room maker. And I'm sure he never realized what his influence truly was. And that's sad. Next up, blues for my high school? Riverside Blues is one of the band's most moving performances and proceeds at a stately tempo. Johnny Dodds' solo is among his finest, again with stop-time accompaniment, and Louis wraps it up with a warm solo and break. King Oliver's Jazz Band with Riverside Blues, written by Richard M. Jones. Now, his jazz band was basically his Creole band, but Bud Scott takes over for Bill Johnson on banjo and vocals. And this was recorded on October 26, 1923 and released on OK Records. Time now for this episode's interesting side note, and it has to do with The Mute. Oliver was particularly recognized for his playing style and his pioneering use of mutes in jazz. As a player, he took great interest in altering his horn's sound. He pioneered the use of mutes, including the rubber plumber's plunger, derby hat, bottles, and cups. Mutes are typically made of stone-lined cardboard or aluminum, though they are also found in copper and even wood. Oliver's favorite mute was a small metal mute made by the C.G. Kahn Instrument Company, with which he played his famous solo on his composition, the Dippermouth Blues. His recording, Wah Wah Wah, with the Dixie Syncopators, can be credited with giving the name Wah Wah to such techniques. This freak style of trumpet playing was also featured in his composition, Eccentric. Directly inspired by Oliver's wah wah sound, the Harmon Company manufactured the now widely used Harmon Mute. The jungle style, popularized by Bubber Miley in Duke Ellington's Orchestra, reflected Oliver's mastery of the plunger, while the popularization of the Harmon Mute forged a direct link between Oliver and such modernist trumpeters as Miles Davis and Harry Edison. Now we're gonna pause for a little demonstration on the different kind of sounds that mutes could make the trumpet sound like. So, I've got my trusty old trumpet. Of course, my dad owned this first back in the 1950s. I'm just gonna play a few notes open. And now, we're gonna first introduce the plunger, which they talked about, and it is basically just a plumber's plunger, and I've had this since I had the horn and that's the doo sound that they were talking about also mentioned was the cup mute uh, very popular for like Lawrence Welk orchestras and also they were talking about the straight mute probably started with bottles that they were also talking about in that little piece and we are going to finish of course with the Harmon mute made really popular by Miles Davis. So you can see all of the different sounds that a trumpet could create depending on which mute was plugged in its bell. Okay, so let's hear this freak style of playing. Wah 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 gives us Oliver at the helm of a very different band. Ten pieces strong, playing arranged music, but with plenty of room for solos. A strong New Orleans contingent is on hand, including trombonist Kid Ori, in whose band Oliver once had played back home. Oliver's solos tell us that the erstwhile pupil had now influenced the teacher. Armstrong tinges are much in evidence. Ori's bouncing solo is played into a brass hat, Albert Nicholas takes a clarinet break, as does the cornet team, and the Charleston beat generates swinging momentum. King Oliver and his Dixie syncopators with Wah Wah Wah. Now I couldn't figure out who wrote that one, but I'm suspecting King had something to do with its composition. With Kid Ori on trombone, Albert Nicholas and Billy Page on clarinet, soprano and alto sax, Barney Begard on clarinet and tenor sax, Louis Russell on piano, Bud Scott on banjo, Burt Cobb on brass, bass. Paul Barbian on drums, and Bob Schaffner joins Oliver on trumpet, was recorded on May 29, 1926, and released on Vocalion Records. Okay, let's jump right into the Franklin Mint bonus cut. Aunt Hagar's blues from Oliver's New York City period shows him keeping up with the times. Contrary to earlier opinion, Oliver could still play well as he does here. Omer Simeon is excellent on clarinet, Barney Begard takes the tenor sax solo, and 22-year-old J.C. Higginbotham, a trombone star-to-be, is heard in his recording debut. But all this is a far cry from the joyful and very special music of the Creole Jazz Band. I'm so sorry. King Oliver and his Dixie Syncopators with Aunt Hagar's Blues, written by the immortal W.C. Handy and J. Tim Brim. It was arranged by Benny Waters with J.C. Higginbotham on trombone, Omer Simeon on clarinet and alto sax, Barney Bagard on clarinet and tenor sax, Lewis Russell on piano, Will Johnson on banjo, Bass Moore on brass bass. Paul Barbian on drums, and Ed Anderson joins Oliver on trumpet. It was recorded September 10th, 1928 and released on Vocalion. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I enjoyed bringing it to you. Yes, this episode was about King Oliver and the link he provided for Dixieland to develop and flourish outside of New Orleans. But it is the earliest recordings of probably the most influential musician in American history, the Great Satchmo. And today's side note sent me down a rabbit hole of research into the trumpet mute, which I still own, but don't use, the top four versions of. Okay, let's finish up with a King composition. Snag It, Oliver's last great blues hit, is right up his alley. There are good solos by Ori, Stump Evans on soprano sax, and Burt Cobb on tuba, but the highlight is Oliver's muted chorus, starting off with a break sequence that was widely copied. The write-out, a conversation between brass and reeds, has that lilting New Orleans rhythm, and the king has the final say. This was his last great band. Dixie Syncopators with Snagit, composed by King Oliver. Now, it's the same band as the Wah 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 recording, except Darnell Howard and Stump Evans replaced Nicholas and Page on clarinet and alto sax. It was recorded on September 17, 1926, and released on Brunswick Records. And there you have selections from the greatest jazz recordings of all time as we finish up Franklin Mint month. So thanks for tuning into Volume 91 Oliver is King, however you do. If you want more information about this show, head over to spinningmydadsvinyl.com I'll be back next week with all my skips, scratches, and pops for Volume 92 Golden Memories of Radio Part 3 Until then go with the flow, my friends (laughs)